Hey, I'm Drew, and you're listening to the Citizen Coder Podcast. In this episode, I interview Sabrina Piles, a musician-turned-software engineer. We talk about her journey into software development, the Hunter Devs free coding bootcamp, Elixir, and so much more. Let's dive in. Hey, Sabrina. Uh, why don't you go... Why don't you go ahead and tell me a little bit about your um, your, pro- your journey to program or learning to program. Sure. Yeah. So my background is more in the arts and writing, although I've kind of had to do some tech roles because it's 2022. That's just life. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a, a couple of years ago, honestly, I don't even know how to describe it. I never really was into programming, but I had this just like strange X-Files style experience where all of a sudden I just like woke up with a weird dream. Like I need to learn how to code. <laughs> I don't even know. Really? Um, yeah. I, really, for real. I never, it was just never something I thought I was good at or was that interested in. And it just strangely, I got bit by the bug. And one day I just woke up and I was like, I'm going to teach myself to code. So I just started playing around with Python um, at first. And I would more so use it just for hobbies to kind of work with artists that I ran into and help them um, make, you know, augmentations to their projects. Mm. Uh, but I was kind of one of those self-taught people that, you know, I'd have a side project here and there, but not like too much focus or depth. Um, and then about, uh, about this earlier this year in January is when I ran into hundred devs and that's when I kind of got more of a focus with, um, web development. And from there I've been a lot more active and focused with, uh, coding in that domain and also working with artists. So you literally just woke up one day and, and was like, oh, I got to learn how to code. It's the weirdest thing. But yeah, like it was very sudden where I just felt this strange like wave of inspiration to to look into it. And I've been mm-hmm. hooked ever since. I am definitely no stranger to waves of inspiration. Uh, I'm a musician, too. So I, I think it comes with the territory. Mm-hmm, for sure. For sure. Sometimes I'll just, you know, I'll get hit with something and I'll have to, I'll have to write it down or I have to uh, play it out or, you know, and sometimes it's not even music related. Uh, I've dabbled in writing novels and, you know, stories and that kind of stuff too. But, um, but yeah, so you said, you said Python? Yeah, that was my, uh, my first language. Which I really, I mean, I know a lot of people recommend it for the first language, and I also kind of agree with that assessment just because it is so uh, flexible, and there's just so many different little things that you can that you can do with it. Um, it's pretty still, and I'm actually like, so I've been doing um, JavaScript, TypeScript for a while, but recently mm-hmm. I've kind of been folding back over into Python, and then um, some C++ for little sensor-based projects, and I'm finally at that stage where. I'm deep enough in any one language that I can start to see, like I can start to learn them in, in relation to each other, which mm-hmm. is really interesting exercise. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. So how does, um, how does this hundred devs thing work? Um, oh, sure, this- for sure. Um, so hundred devs uh, to describe it, it's basically, it's a totally free 30 week software engineering boot camp that also has an agency where we basically just leverage like the group that we have and the diversity of the group to make um, to make websites for clients. Um, so it's like a it's an online co- a massive online course in its way, but it's also very community learning based. Mm. Um, so it's it's a great place if you are like me and I know like many people where you've kind of been like you can grind the code and you can make your own projects, but th- this is an environment where it will push you towards getting your portfolio together, getting, working with clients and actually like putting yourself out there to get work coding. So where does the, uh, where does the curriculum come from? So uh, Leon, who this is uh, originally called Learn with Leon, he's the director of the program. He makes his own, uh, he makes his own curriculum and it's, um, it's really, he's been doing this for a while. He's gotten a lot of people jobs in tech from all different, uh, different levels and backgrounds. And so he has this curriculum he's developed over the years. And then between that and just the community-based learning is how we come together to teach each other. So do you, um, is there, I'm trying to think how to put it. Um, okay. So he makes his own curriculum. 
is it is it self-paced or do, do you guys go through as like cohorts or Yes. So this is actually, you know, um, when you were talking to my friend Byron the other day, mm -hmm. um, I, this kind of made me think of something about this course. So it is done um, by cohort in terms of the live course. Okay. Um, but actually, and the reason I bring Byron up is I know you guys were talking like the other day about, I mean, I think you had mentioned your wife and like getting her PhD and just the understanding that like, hey, I actually am good at math. I just, the way that it's taught is if you miss like one little detail or you miss one day or whatever, there's this like compounding interest element of it mm. where it's easy to get lost when any one piece you could have done it, but it's just that the pacing of it mm. kind of, you know, makes it easier to get lost in that way. Yeah. But the, the awesome thing about this, the way this course is set up, there are cohorts, but there it's also like a bit staggered because there's something called the catch up crew. So you can be live, but you can also be self-paced. And so at any given time, you'll have people in the community ahead of you and behind you. And when you're ahead, you're really supposed to help people that are newer. So it automatically is having you review concepts mm. because you have to teach them. So that really helps with, with encoding it. And if you ever get kind of stuck on something, then you can go back to the catch-up crew and then catch up at your own pace. So it's a pretty flexible um, structure. Oh, interesting. That's That's pretty wild. It's so helpful. Like I, I, this has been pretty experimental, and it's grown like so fast. I do not know how him and the moderate, moderation team like even are handling. It's really crazy, but I really have found that staggered approach with just some people ahead and some people behind, and it's not based on they're better or worse. It's just whatever pace people are at has just really, really helped me to be able to to do this. I feel. Yeah, sorry. I'm just I'm making some notes because uh, I'm in this this boot camp for. Uh, Dockyard Academy, which is a, I don't know if you're familiar with, with Dockyard. It's a, it's an Elixir company. They, well, they, they do work for other companies, but it's all in Elixir. And uh -huh. if you don't know anything about Elixir, it's a, it's a pretty new language. It's around 10 or 11 years old, I think. And, uh, the languages, the technology it's based on is really old. It's like 30 years old. But uh -huh, um, uh -huh. the the virtual machine that it runs on. Um, but it, um, so, so what they're doing is they're open sourcing the curriculum. So that as as it's being built right now, um, once it's once it's done, they're going to open source it. And a few of us in the in the uh, the beta have been considering putting together a kind of a study group thing where. You know, you can go through it at maybe more of like a six month period instead of a accelerated three month period. But, you know, I've been trying to work out some of the details and uh, yeah, so, so I'm making notes. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely like if you're if you're doing that, then I I'd really recommend like checking it out just because, again, it's been really interesting because I really am part of an experiment in a way. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's been really fun to because, I mean, you know, I don't know about you, but I, I would imagine a lot of us feel the same. Like the promise of these online massive online courses was one of the original parts of the Internet that was like really fascinating. Yeah. And and it's kind of been like, you know, experimental and some of it's worked and some of it hasn't. But this community based learning with uh, just all the different um, techniques that are being applied here, I find I find myself more engaged, whereas other courses I've kind of like drifted off. This one tends to help someone like me stay with the with the program, and that's a tall order because I have so many Udemy courses, as many people do, that have been like half abandoned. What's uh, what's your Udemy number? <laughs> oh my god, I don't. I would have. I don't. It's shameful. I don't even know. It's too high. <laughs> no, that that's fine. I, I think mine's <laughs> mine's in the thirties. So, but yeah, I've talked to people that have more, which is mm -hmm. kind of insane. Right. Um, because you know, I, and and you're right. There, the, the thing about Udemy courses is it's great that you get a lot of content, but it is really hard sometimes to kind of be self motivated and go through, especially without any real support. Mm -hmm. Like you have you have some support where you can you know you can kind of ask questions and if if the instructors are active, of course, right, um, right, because you know. Udemy courses sometimes don't get uh, they don't get supported over a longer period of time. But so, are you able to? Is okay. So you joined hundred devs, right? Uh -huh. Is it is it kind of like where you can 
Um, I'm trying to think. Do they keep, I guess they keep track of, do they keep track of who joins? Or is it kind of just like people just popping in and, and leaving as they, as they want? Or So you the, during the onboarding process, you basically follow the socials that they have, which would be like a Twitter, YouTube, and then um, a Twitch. When Twitch is primarily where the live um, actual course courses are, and then they're also hosted on YouTube. Um, when you join the Discord, you could, you know, just kind of avail yourself of things there and not really follow the curriculum. But uh, there is also uh, homework that you that you need to turn in, and certain projects that you need to finish to technically get like a completion for the course, so to speak. Mm. Uh, right now it's done in waves where there's like a final deadline for a submission of everything that constitutes like illustrating that you have an act like a real portfolio and that you've done work with uh, clients and all this. Mm. Um, but I, I believe, and again, this is me not like as a, an official spokesperson, oh, they, sure, yeah. they are still working out. I believe that they're sort of, uh, this is done live, but they're trying to create a system where it's kind of a little semi automated to the extent where you can, uh, turn in the homework and get approval to say that you've officially finished the course. Although again, the, the purpose of the uh, hundred devs isn't like really a certificate mm -hmm. course. It's more just uh, helping get you from not just learning how to code, but also learning how to network and market yourself, which I have to acknowledge. I was like abysmal at before some of the advice yeah. here may be obvious to some people, but it was a revelation to me that I apparently just need to actually advocate for myself. What do you know? I, I mean, I honestly, I think that's a big deal with a lot of people. I'm, kind of the same way like i you know I don't, I don't know how to use linkedin that well um you know just really learning how to use twitter um i think marketing yourself is it's not natural if that makes sense it's uh -huh. it's not something that people do on a normal basis i think companies are the ones that so i worked at target once a long time ago and that was the first time i'd ever run into a a place where they were like you need to market yourself you know if you did something great brag about it you know yeah. that that was to me that's kind of foreign like i don't you know i'm i'm more of a laid-back self-deprecating kind of guy and bragging about myself was not something that i did instinctually or uh or uh you know it just didn't come natural to me Right. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely agree and can, can relate to all of that. And, but something I have definitely found with this is at first it did, it felt like odd and like uncomfy and just not what I was used to. But as I continued to do it, I did realize that um, a lot of people do like want to see you win. And I ended up uh, finding more opportunities to collaborate through sort of marketing myself and sort of building in public. And I found as long as I just was careful to take the time to like genuinely also appreciate what other people were doing and become invested in it, that it, it became like a lot less artificial and more things were growing sort of organically. But there was this initial period where I had to force myself into something I really wasn't accustomed to doing. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So is there is there any kind of mentorship involved in this in the 100 devs um how, how does that kind of work do you get any like one on one time or So yeah you can for one thing, they have like a team of uh, moderators that are um, very active and very, very supportive and helpful at uh, helping to curate the community and get people the resources that they need. Um, and also part of this is community taught so that we can support each other because the goal is that we don't even need the program anymore by the end and we're all like up and, and we kind of spread the love and help uplift other people. Mm -hmm. you, there is There are also opportunities for one-on-one -on -one mentorship that you you kind of like acquire points through proving that you're actually participating in the program to get time like more one-on-one -on -one with Leon, but they have a whole team of people in tech that do hands-on mentoring and provide support and provide education. So yeah, there's a, there's a really nice system of kind of helping to integrate you into the tech ecosystem from people that have been there before. Oh, that's pretty wild. I, the moderators there are like actual angels. I'm fairly convinced because again, this is <laughs> all they don't, this is all free. 
Um, so they really just give of themselves and uh, spend a lot of time being like crazily supportive. It's it's been very impressive to to watch it grow. How do you um, how do you get involved in it? So I can you do you have like show notes where you can mm-hmm. um, put a link? Oh yeah, definitely. I'll link anything. Okay, link. awesome. So I will give you that link. Um, and if you go, I think I have, let me see if I can find the actual name of it here. But otherwise, we'll just have you put it in the show notes. But if you go there, it, it lays out the onboarding process. It says follow me on these socials and then join the Discord. Mm. And for, when you join the Discord, there's a section that says start here. You read the rules. There's a section that says help. And you you know it's where the newbies go. And then from mm. there, I guarantee someone will help you if you are confused or need any because the discord can be like a little overwhelming it's pretty big yeah so don't try to like do the whole thing at first (laughs) but it's actually awesome there are so there's groups like there's a um bipoc in tech there's women in tech there's lgbtq in tech and just all kinds of different um like sub support groups Mm -hmm. that you know if you spend time there it's really awesome they have support for different languages and just anything that you can really think of to be honest oh wow that's crazy so what do you think um, how, how far into it are you? So actually I, the last class was yesterday for me. Oh, really? Um, yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Um, I, and now I'm in this like kind of period where I'm actually going to take a deep breath for one thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause it's, yeah, for sure. it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of work for sure. That's the thing. They're really supportive. You do have to put the work in though. Um, so yeah, just done now and just essentially going, building the projects that I really want to, like taking some time for my passion projects and, uh, doing the whole LinkedIn thing now and just trying to solidify that is going to be interesting (laughs) to say the least, but yeah. 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 Uh, I can, I can say one thing, Byron can definitely help out with some of that because he's really good at LinkedIn and resumes and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I was listening to him him saying like his whole philosophy behind why he's mentoring and stuff. I think that's really that's really awesome. And and you know people like like him. What before I was really in tech, I really didn't understand like how many people in tech actually do like give their time to to help other other people. It's like mm-hmm. uh, this is one of these things about tech that people outside probably don't even like know of. But it's it really does have a lot of awesome like supportive people in the industry. Yeah, I agree. I, I before I really got into this boot camp, I had no idea that that there were so many supportive people. So we have like we have a couple people in here that um they do uh, they they set up one on ones kind of frequently. So uh I probably have uh twice a week one on ones with um with another guy that works for um a big fortune 500 company and it's i don't know it's, it's kind of crazy because you know i've never had any kind of mentorship before when i was trying to learn to code and i think part of the the problem or part of the reason that it took me kind of so long to get to this point was not having a some sort of support system i think it's much easier to kind of stay on track when you actually have people that are pulling for you and pushing you. Yes, 100%. And I think, especially in tech, there's just so many people that are like smart people, but they're kind of doing the solo grind thing and then not understanding Mm -hmm. like why, you know, they're sending in all these applications on sites where it's just like fielded by machine learning or whatever. And it's like, you know, the community building element is people may talk about soft skills, like, yeah, they're important, but it's like, no, really though, like you, you need to learn to community build no matter what your discipline is and especially in tech, honestly. Yeah, you, you really do. Um, learning to to kind of build your build a network and um, you know everybody in on Twitter you know all the all the gurus tell you you should find a mentor and and this and that but you know a lot of them aren't really jumping in and helping mentor people. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> but it's um, you know but I mean it and as far as advice goes yes they're correct as far as how to find a mentor that's the hard part so it sounds like something like 100 devs is actually going to be a huge benefit to people um in the you know both both in providing some sort of curriculum like cohesive curriculum but also um providing some sort of mentorship because i think that's that's kind of like the missing link 
when it comes mm-hmm. to um to progression or just having some sort of support group even if you even if you're a a self learner and you know and you're okay with learning on your own you know sometimes it's it's sometimes it's good to just get get a little uh you know like a 30 minute chat with somebody or you know just be able to kind of ask some questions or figure out some stuff Mm-hmm. Yeah, without a doubt. And I mean, I think that Discord is a is a pretty good, honestly, way to organize like an online course. Um, so I'm happy to see more and more people just become and honestly, the, another funny thing is like, I've actually become just better at different forms of social media incidental to being able to integrate with that course. And even that knowledge, even though that wasn't directly what was being taught has, has already helped um, organize my other solo projects as well. Mm-hmm. So what um what kind of solo projects you got running? So, um, let's see. I am doing one. I'm working with an artist called Zach Fox to build um like biometric sensor based synthesizers. Oh, weird. that yeah. So I'm really interested in like synesthesia and using tech to translate uh translate signals. So that's one project. Oh, that's like a labor of love that I need to make more time for her, honestly. Mm. Um, and then I am also working on a project where I'm trying to use basically um, something like Jupyter Notebooks or or maybe Google Collab because it's a little more um, accessible, I feel, to non less technical people mm. um, to combine different uh, machine learning like uh, uh, language models and text to image to create like templates for stories. So people can kind of like create a miniature little short story and just use these different models for different chunks of it to kind of be educational. Oh, interesting. How would mm-hmm. how would that work? Well, I mean, you know, if you basically I was kind of inspired by the way that I saw on um, on one of some of my socials where I'm friends with like mostly non-tech people mm-hmm. and they were sharing like the, you know, the, what's it called? The V clip interrogator one, the, uh, the image to text. And they were just sharing it mm-hmm. through a Google collab notebook. Um, and so I was thinking, you know, well, there's no reason that I can't kind of thread together different models and just use a template to do the same thing, but just have a little bit more like direction in what the purpose of the notebook is. Oh yeah. Wow. That's really cool. What um? So oh, go oh ahead. sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Oh, I was just kind of curious about like uh, similarly, like in terms of these kinds of passion projects, like what? Because co- mm-hmm. I was reading a little bit about Elixir and just like the concept of, although I've never done like Java or Erlang or whatever, but I kind of the concept that it has this concurrency and then some of these other features of it do sound like actually pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and you can do it with like embedded and all that kind of stuff, which I'm interested in. So I was curious what kind of um, what kind of solo projects or passion projects that you've been uh, up to. Um. So I haven't really started. <clears throat> well, okay. So, as part of the the boot camp, I've started two projects. Um, one of them is kind of a fun project. It's a uh, <laughs> it's a words per minute project, but it's all uh, Elixir code snippets instead of um, instead of like you know your standard words. Um, so you basically type out like um like snippets of code and you know try to do it as fast as you can that kind of thing oh nice um it's just kind of a kind of kind of a gamey project for for uh the boot camp um as far as like what i want to do outside of that i really want to i want to build maybe a game framework in elixir because there isn't one yet um Ooh. elixir's still a new it's a really new um, a new language and so it's weird like everything's being built right now so you know with javascript as a for instance yeah new frameworks and stuff come out every day but there's already like this huge backlog right. of, of stuff that exists that you can use mm-hmm. for anything there's not that with elixir it's all currently being built um they've got a they've got a project called well, okay, so they've got a framework called Phoenix, which is, to, as a comparison, it would be like Django for Python or um, or Rails for Ruby. Uh-huh. Um, in that it's a it's a web framework you can build 
websites and things like that with it. Uh, there, but off of that, so they've got something called that uses something called Live View. Dockyard is building another project called Live View Native, which is going to let you build mobile apps with Elixir. But they're doing it in such a way that if you're an iOS dev, you can come over to Elixir and use if like you already know Swift, you're gonna you're gonna be able to build modules for phones or build use kind of this kind of similar um, components when you're for your, when you're building your apps that um, it's gonna feel it's gonna feel natural for an, for a Swift developer to use. Awesome. And, cool. and the same with uh, Android, although I think with Android, they're they're going to emulate the uh, trying to think what it's called. Um, it's kind of a new thing in Android that that they're moving over to from the standard. Uh, let me see real quick. Um, little google <laughs> uh jetpack compose are you familiar with that i am firmly inside of steve jobs's sandbox when it comes to mobile okay so i that's oh, okay to say, all right true. cool no that's cool <laughs> so i think um it's i so most most of these companies are doing things that are sort of similar similar so react native is is a uh framework for building Mm-hmm. apps and it's it's going to be it's kind of like that except if you if you work in android <clears throat> excuse me if you work in android you'll be able to basically write jetpack compose um but it i don't know it, i don't know exactly how they're doing it um but basically you're going to be able to build components as if you were writing swift or as if you were writing kotlin basically mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that's pretty interesting. They got a bunch of other stuff. They've got um, they've got something for working with. Um, I think it's called nerves. Uh, which I think is embedded uh, internet oh, Internet of Things yeah. development. Um, so that's that's being. I mean, that's still being worked on, but I think it's. I guess it's far enough to where people they're like they're using this stuff in production, which is crazy. You know, I'm mm-hmm. I'm typically used to like you know it's got to reach 1.0 before it gets used in production. <laughs> nah, not so much. <laughs> um, huh. I think I think Live View is is still pretty uh, early in its in its life. Yeah, it's it's version 0.18. <laughs> Okay. Wow. Um, but I mean, it's it. This stuff is like full featured. It's weird that you know I, I would expect that it wouldn't get used until much later. But companies are moving over to it, and I think a lot of that has to do with with the uh, concurrency and you know, mm-hmm. um, and the fact that it's it's built on uh, the uh, they call it the Beam. It's the Erlang Virtual Machine. Right, and it's it's been around for like thirty years. It's it's really old. Um, obviously, it's continually developed over those thirty years, but um, you know it was around before pretty much everything else, as far as that goes. Java, and, um, but yeah. So I don't know. I don't know if that answers your question or not. No, it definitely does. And I mean, the thing is like, actually, so this is an interesting end for me. I'm looking at some of this uh, IoT stuff for yeah. Elixir. That could be a fun, because yeah, I have just lim- somewhat limited experience with embedded, just kind of messing around with making it go beep boop. But, uh, mm-hmm. but it's a it's a cool space. So that might be, if I'm playing around with Elixir, that might be where I where I start. Um, it's I was just kind of thinking while you were speaking about the the yeah, it's, it's hard to go from when you're learning a language, you know, that feeling when you first go to I'm building stuff for proof of concept to be able to do this thing. And then to the point where you actually have like a creative idea mm-hmm. and you're able to implement like what, what you actually envisioned before you decided how to approach the problem. And that is a very gratifying moment in learning a language. I feel like one of the most gratifying parts is when you instead of like 
oh, I need to learn how to use this tech. I'm going to use it for this. It's like, I want to make this and I know how to do it. That is the, yeah. the coolest feeling. Yeah, that's, that's I think, the uh, maybe the moment you know you've arrived, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that, that that's a really cool feeling. Uh, I haven't, I don't think I've quite hit there yet with Elixir. I'm still kind of in the early stages, still learning a lot about the, uh, the language. Um, I will say that learning, learning a functional language can be, it's, it's quite different from your standard OOP language. Oh yeah. So you're, you're dealing with like the immutable state, like functional paradigm with Elixir. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's. It's kind of a brain twister at, at times, you know, because most of everything I've done up to this point has been um, object oriented. So trying to trying to forget the mental model of, you know, everything's an object and switch to kind of everything's a function uh, is, mm -hmm. is kind of is it hasn't been a huge leap because I haven't been. I wasn't super deep into any um object oriented language but you know i've i've tried i my brain has tried to compare uh objects to modules and they're not the same but mm -hmm. but you know because i'm because i'm sort of crossing over and trying to learn uh, learn that it's it's been kind of a struggle to at times to um to find a mental model that works um, when it comes to what it does or uh, how to compare them, I guess, in my head. <laughs> Is there any like particular issue that comes to mind as something that was one of the first things that struck you when, when learning functional that was like confusing or just seemed like odd that comes to mind? I'm kind of curious. Hmm. Just something that seemed odd from coming over from object oriented. Yeah, like is there anything in specific where you were like getting a strange error or just something? There was like the lack of interoperability that like made you notice. Oh, this is a different paradigm in this way. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense mm -hmm. to say. Yeah, not being able to just um, grab a variable and just change the value was kind of weird because it's not you know it's not like. Uh, because the the data is immutable and you can't just you can't just change it you know it just exists um so yeah i'd i'd say definitely the trying trying to not think of of the data as mutable mm -hmm. um and you you know you're basically just kind of taking it and then building something new with it instead of taking it and just like you know Take, taking the ball of clay and just making your own figurine out of it instead you gotta like <laughs> grab another ball of clay and <laughs> okay <laughs> just very i like that metaphor interesting okay <laughs> yeah um it's been a lot of fun though it's i i, I kind of feel like i'm in on the ground floor of something and right and that's not uh and that's because it's it's not very big and it's still being built and there's you know there all the uh all the big stuff that all the other languages already have is still being built at this point um even though it's being used in production i, <laughs> I go ahead i was gonna say i i get the sense of similar energy surrounding like the rust mm -hmm. ecosystem um and I, I can definitely see the appeal of although rust seems like terrifying to me but I, I mean i play around with like rustlings or whatever i don't know if you've seen that little game where it just kind of like fix compiler errors to learn it in the terminal which is fun but oh, uh but yeah it's really cute you can like if you look up the rustling if you're interested and you know don't feel like committing to learning rust per se but just want to casually learn a little bit about it mm -hmm. it's called rustlings and i think it's such a cute way of like it's just like a series of levels of increasingly complicated errors you need to fix in a little vim file um, oh, that's cool. Yeah, it like, seems like a similar energy there too, where people are excited to be able to to rewrite stuff and to try to find a different approach from what was done before. So that's pretty cool. Rustlings. That's what it's called. Yeah, R U S T L I N G S. Rustlings, nice. little crustaceans, I guess. <laughs> you have a link for that? Uh, I can. I don't know if this see. is the. I don't know if I'm in the right spot. I forked the repo, so I'm sure my. Oh, cool. Yeah. 
I'll throw that in the show notes too for anybody else that might be interested in Rust. I don't know anything about nice. Rust. I've heard it's is it kind of like a C sharp or not C sharp a C plus plus replacement? It sort of this is like a bit out of my wheelhouse, but it mm-hmm. is like sort of like um, C plus plus except for its approach to memory management instead of using like the same pointers it uses. Uh, Oh god, what's I don't even remember what it's called now to be honest. Um so it's like a different method of, of trying to avoid seg faults by being like a stricter in how everything is written. Mm, okay, okay. Interesting. This is sort of like a Kotlin to Java maybe. Oh. Yeah, I can't even. So this is interesting cuz I actually am actively trying to get a little lower um and I'm going with C++ to do that mm-hmm. um just because I have experience with Arduino. Um, and what I'm trying to do is just play this Rustlings game on the side while I am learning C++. And I think that's my plan to to learn C++ better mm. and without too much of a time investment to kind of understand both languages on some level at least. Yeah, yeah. Which, oh, kind of an interesting aside. Not really an aside, but Rust-related. Um, I believe that Linus is, is uh, integrating Rust with Linux kernel. I don't know if you're familiar with with Linux at all. Um, yeah, so a little bit. And I know that um, Nova, who works in uh, Kubernetes and works with like the Linux kernel, um, she also, she's like a Twitch streamer also. I don't, mm. she's like a wizard to me. I don't even understand what she's doing. I just know that it's like incredible. And I know that she <laughs> is also working in Rust for a lot of the stuff. And she's pretty essential to the Kubernetes and the Linux ecosystem at this point as well. Nice. So it seems like to be gaining popularity. And then also, you know, the, uh, this uh, the latest announcement in that Next.js conference um, where the new bundler is written in Rust, the Turbo Pack mm. is written in Rust. Oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Rust um, is probably, I would, I would guess that Rust will eventually overtake C++. I don't know how it would work or if... I- I feel like that's like people have been saying stuff will overtake C plus plus forever, and then it just never dies. <laughs> but but at the same time, but at the same time, Rust is definitely taking off though. Or PHP? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Uh, I had to throw in a PHP is dead joke. Um, <laughs> True. Required. Uh, that's funny. Yeah, Rust. I don't know. I, I've never used. I've never used C plus plus. It always looked really complicated. So I look at Forge. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say the way that I use it mm-hmm. is not complicated because I'm just literally like, you know, doing input output with sensors mm. and just like even even like to talk to MIDI, you just kind of use the serial out. So it's not oh. um, too hard, but that's also like a baby version of C++ because of how Arduino like implements it because it already has these like, you know, specialized libraries and all this that handle a lot of the more technical memory management from what I understand. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I may have to look into um, some C++. I've always, I'm kind of weird. I always look at everything from the side of uh, video games. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so anytime, I, anytime I've tried a language out, one of the first things I do is I look to see if they have a game library of some sort. <laughs> uh, I, I think deep down I really just want to make games. Um, so maybe eventually <laughs> I'll get around to to programming some more games. Um, really, I've only just... I've kind of dabbled. Uh, I dabbled with... Oh, what is it? Uh, uh, I think it's called Godot or Godot. I don't know how it's actually pronounced. Oh, yeah. I've seen people working in that before the... Um, yeah, I don't know how to pronounce either Godot or Godot engine. Yeah. One way or the other. Yeah. <laughs> I think they do both, and everybody just repeats all the pronunciations <laughs> when they talk about it <laughs> that one does look interesting though that looked a little bit more now that i'm remembering it looks p- potentially a little more accessible in a way mm-hmm. than some other gaming engines yeah and the scripting language is basically python like so it mm-hmm. looks like python you know feels like python kind of how elixir looks like ruby uh mm-hmm. in in most ways except for like the pipe operator which is really cool, but I've never seen it in any other language, at least not yet. But yeah, it's it's kind of like that. Looks like Python, um, and mm-hmm. and they usually say, you know, if 
if you don't have any programming experience, go learn some Python first and then jump into Godot. So it's probably just because it it feels the same when you're, mm-hmm. when you're programming it. Makes sense. So what kind of sensors are you are you messing with? <laughs> uh, so right now, uh, the prototype just kind of has like stand-in sensors because honestly, I'm trying to determine like what the best biometric ones could be aside from, you know, like heartbeat and then um, tilt sensors because mm. uh, part of it is to like be able to, to translate dance oh. into music. And so even even ultrasonic, you know, height sensors in the right place based on, you know, the distance of your wrist or whatever from the ground. Mm. Um, but I but I would like to make it like more biometric. It's just that I that part of it is still in its infancy for me as I kind of learn more about different ways of getting that information. Yeah, yeah. That's that's pretty wild. I don't I don't know if I've talked to anybody that's doing anything like that. Yeah, it was like I said, it was my artist friend um, Zach Fox's idea that he just uh, brought up to me one day, and it sounded really like a fun a fun project, especially because I've been looking for an excuse to get into embedded. I mean, the other area, so I'm interested in that, and I'm also interested in helping to make sort of. Um, semi-automated gardening systems that measure because i i'm also a gardener and i i feel like with climate change that food Mm -hmm. food systems resilience and also just bringing more people into the act of gardening is like very uh important and timely and these kinds of sensor systems i really did notice in my plants especially someone with adhd that um that that even if you if you look at my plants that i did as a kind of a control group just fully by myself compared to the part that i had partially automated it's like night and day with how easy it is to to keep the system sustained so that's another area i'd like to explore with sensors is just building little um semi-autonomous gardens yeah you know it's funny you bring that up um i'm i'm also kind of in the supply your own food kind of a you know place um, mm-hmm. where I've always I'm kind of interested in that sort of thing. There is a company um I'm trying to find it. I'll I'll add it to the show notes, but it's a they're using Elixir to automate vertical gardens. So they they have uh they they buy these big warehouses and then they build these vertical gardens in them. And then they use Elixir to, uh, and I think they use Python too, um, but to to automate all these these big vertical gardens, like okay, these get this kind of water or you know this amount of water, um, and so they're they're basically in food production, and they they build them they try to build them close to the distribution centers. That way, you know it's it's pretty quick to get from. Uh, garden to market mm-hmm. um but you know that um when you're building you don't have to worry you know these big warehouses they don't have to worry about climate you know they can control the climate right they can uh they can control all that kind of stuff a lot easier you know keep keep the bugs out and um yeah it's pretty wild um i'll uh yeah i'll try to find that link because that would be a That'd be a good one. That that kind of popped my interest. I heard uh, they interviewed him on one of the Elixir podcasts, and I was like, "Wow, that's crazy!" You know, he using a. I mean, I'd never considered using like a programming language to automate stuff like, um, you know, move the plants into the sun. <laughs> Although in this case, it would be lamps, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if their system crashes because of how. Uh, elixir and the and the uh the beam work um it'll just reboot itself oh nice okay um, so that that's also one of the one of the uh the perks of using elixir is uh you know they t- i i think the the mantra is just let it crash because <laughs> it'll just restart and go <laughs> um so that's pretty wild but yeah so hey um you've done a lot of gardening at this point or done some i've been gardening for maybe not not like super long for about three years or so now so i'm like pretty pretty new to it Mm. 
And what I found like originally too with my automation systems was it was kind of helping me like learn how to do stuff because I'm also a believer in if you make a, a technological tool, for me, the ideal is that it can serve a function, but also educate people about like why it's doing what it's doing. Mm -hmm. And so that in theory, if the system were to like not operate anymore, that the person would still have learned the knowledge from it. So that's another mm -hmm. principle I was kind of, this is a little more advanced. I always say, I'm going to do it. It's like, you know, when you invent a new game and you're like, yeah. I'm going to create this whole world and it's gonna, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and then when you actually make it, it's like, <laughs> let's put one, let's make one little, little dude. And right. let's you have to like <laughs> break it down into the tiny tiniest possible right, pieces right but i really so i wanted it to kind of be a combination of a little like a more first off i love the bigger vertical gardens and i love like discovering the efficiencies and things i think our logistics really need like now of all times we need to and there's always this problem of the competitive nature of capitalism makes mm -hmm. information a little difficult to share and there's like interoperability issues and all of this mm -hmm. um but even, you know, those big scales are cool, but I even just love on a smaller scale where it's like, not only does it automate your garden, but maybe like once a day, it tells the user what it's doing and why mm -hmm. in, in a way that could help people to, you know, set it and forget it. But also if you want to learn, it gets to the point where theoretically you wouldn't even need it anymore. And like using the, you know, a pedagogical system that helps to reinforce ideas in a way that, that that's actually effective is something I'm interested in a little bit down the line. Mm. Sorry, you said a word there that I don't know what it means. Pedagogy. Oh, so pedagogy, like probably is the um, related to like um, teaching styles. Oh, okay, okay. Got it. Mm -hmm. So just kind of using like reinforcement learning, and because otherwise I'm just giving like an information dump, and you know, trying to do it in a way where it's like actually encourages like real long term learning. Mm -hmm. Don't make me Google. No. <laughs> <laughs> Too late. <laughs> I mean, we're our memories are already so um, so outsourced that it's always an interesting exercise to to get into nature and to see like what remains when we no longer are able to look everything up at the drop of a hat. Yeah, that's that's going to be interesting if if we ever get to that point because there's going to you know if if we can't look stuff up. And, you know, we have to go back to books. Um, <laughs> books will become a lot more valuable than they are, for sure. I don't know if you ever kind of thought about the whole uh, um, post-apocalyptic world scenario. <laughs> I mean, another thing, too, in terms of, like, what you're getting at with books and the value that they have is you know, just the concept, even now, like even pre-apocalyptic or whatever we are, like maybe yeah. hopefully pre-apocalyptic <laughs> um, society is like the concept of link rot, right? Mm -hmm. Is that in theory, we can say, well, don't worry, you know, the, the internet, has, we have more access to information than ever before. And that's partially true, mm -hmm. except for there have been, you know, certain studies or maybe audits is a better term of like academic sources and other, you know, uh, quote unquote official sources of information where X percentage of the links are, are no longer functional. Mm. Um, so, I mean, and now, although there are people backing certain things up, there is something to be said for a book, you know, contain none of the hyperlinks in the book, you know, if there's something that the author wants to expound on, it'll be written right there. Whereas on the internet, there is a chance that I was kind of surprised by um, how frequent link rot actually is. I had never considered link rot. That's an interesting term and also an interesting concept. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was kind of uh, definitely interested in that too. And like, if you look into it, you might be surprised by like how, how much, um, especially like official sources of information actually are prone to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it's weird. Like I've probably seen it and run into it and I've just never given it any thought. You know, you go to a, you know, something's been linked somewhere, you grab it, you paste it in, and it's gone. So it's <laughs> like, okay, where'd it go? Um, right. I've definitely run into that, but I've just never really considered a, well, A, I think that's an awesome term for it, because that's <laughs> kind of what it is. Um, but, yeah, that's that's actually true, because, yeah, with books, you know, as long as it's not like a, as long as they're not sending you to the internet for something, like it's all going to be contained in the book. So you're not, right. yeah, you're not going to have to worry about um, the information disappearing. Mm -hmm. And there's also the spontaneity of like, if you go into a random library or whatever, it's like, if you're on the internet, normally you are intentionally following a chain of like what you actively think that, you know, like I'm trying to learn this. So I need to learn this, that, and that supposedly. 
at least according to how your mind works, whereas, you know, there is this degree of spontaneity that, uh, you know, is kind of counter to what an algorithm is. And I mean, the algos help, don't get me wrong, like they can really help reinforce information. But Mm -hmm. if you're missing any degree of running into a book that like, oh, that looks like an interesting cover, or that's an interesting title, and you, you know, you pick it up, that kind of a thing is, uh, is also pretty important, I feel to at least from time to time, like expose yourself to information that arises just completely spontaneously. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Um, we're, we're reaching the end of our time. Do you, uh, you have anything you want to shout out or anything you want to add before we go? Um, first off, shout out table seven. I said I would do that. That's my, that's my crew. Um, and aside from that, I mean, you know, not, not really. If you want to maybe link my Twitter, if anyone is interested in, Mm -hmm. um, I'm eggs mayhem, eggs underscore mayhem on Twitter. If anyone's interested in talking about anything I've brought up or, you know, wants to just say hi, that'd be cool. Um, but yeah, aside from that, uh, I just really appreciate being invited on. This was this was really fun. And uh, yeah, also, if anyone has questions about 100 devs, feel free to to reach out to me as well. And I'd be happy to, you know, um, help you get uh, onboarded if you'd like. I will definitely reach out to you. Um, I had I think I have maybe a couple more questions, but um, we can uh, okay. we can go we can go right off off here. Um, well, one of them was I don't know if I asked you. Uh, how long it took you to get through the 100 devs program? So I, so it took me the 30 weeks, although the thing is that it was, it was longer for this particular cohort because, um, Leon had a kid and then also just like some emergency stuff Mm, came up. mm, Although again, that's the benefit though of the community learning is because if anything, we just all, we, it didn't really disrupt like the learning in a certain regard because we already had such strong like community structures. Um, but, but normally, yeah, it's 30 weeks plus, um, something like two to four weeks for a break, depending, um, for, for a cohort. And if you want to go at your own pace, then I would imagine you could actually finish it, uh, uh, probably twice that fast if you really wanted to go intense into it. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't sure of the time frame. Okay. Awesome. Mm-hmm. All right. Great. Well, I will, um, I will catch up with you on Twitter. All right. Sounds great. Thanks so much. Yeah. This was really fun. Thanks for coming. You've been listening to episode 14 of the Citizen Coder Podcast. If you'd like to connect with Sabrina, you can find her on Twitter. Links to that and other things we covered are also in the show notes. If you like what I'm doing and you want to sponsor the show, you can reach out to me at info at citizencodercast.com or message me on LinkedIn or Twitter. Thanks for listening, and as always, I'll see you next time.